true. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am a tour in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going back there. And I'll read it to you here in verse 50 and 51. That is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 50 and 51. So the Bible says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it from the sheath and killed him cut off, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion dead, when the Philistines saw their champion dead, when the Philistines saw somebody they looked up to was dead, they fled. You know, I said when I first started this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to thank Minister Daniel, Minister Latham for doing a great job of filling in, is that in order to be a champion, sometimes you just got to beat the champion. Amen? You just got to triumph over something bigger than you. And when you can do that, then you can see that God has lifted you above your circumstances and situations. Amen? Well, you may be seated. You may be seated. This is going to be our second sermon, a little series that we've entitled Rising to the Occasion. Now, I said this, and I'll go through a quick review. When someone has rose to the occasion, or when we use that terminology, we usually use it to mean that they did what was necessary to successfully overcome a difficult situation. Also, when we rise to the occasion, it means to make a special effort required to successfully deal with a difficult and troubling time. The definition I like, though, is the one where it says that when you rise to the occasion, you step up or step forward to do what is needed at the time. So it looks like that there will always be times in our lives when we can step up and rise to the occasion. We can do something that can make a difference in the lives of people as well as our own lives. Another one said is to meet the challenge of an event and to try extra hard to do a task. The last one I like is this one, is to offer services at a suitable, uh, opportune time. You know, as we look out over ministry, you know, after COVID, some of us need to just look for opportunities and how that we can serve the Lord now in this season. You know, we're still coming out of COVID, but it, I do believe that the door of opportunity is open for us to rise to the occasion and serve God at a whole nother level. And not only just here in the church, but there's opportunities where you can step up in your own life, step in the life of your family, on your job, in your social circles. Sometimes you just got to be that person. Amen. Sometimes you just got to be that person that is willing to step up and make a difference when it counts. You know, in our first time, we took a look at the, the whole affairs daughters and how they stepped up and uh, made a difference when it came to the unfair inheritance laws. 
And then we close by taking a quick look at, you know, Rahab and saw, saw how she rose to the occasion to uh, support the spies and give them the information that they needed to be successful. And in return, she was blessed when Joshua and the, and the Israelites came to overtake Jericho. But today we want to continue our look by looking at a couple more women. First, I want to go to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4. And here we see the prophetess Deborah. Somebody say Deborah. Deborah rise to the occasion as a judge of Israel. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, the book of Judges is all about the ins and outs of the Israelite in favor with God, out of favor with God. You know, God bless them. They go out and start cutting the food. Then he raised up a nation to come against them. Then he have to raise up a judge. Well, this pattern goes on throughout that entire book. And what happens here is that we see that at the time, Deborah was sitting in the judgment seat. She was the one who was judging Israel at this time. Now, she was handling both civil matters as well as religious matters. So it lets me see that God has no problem with using women to be large and in charge. Now, man may have a problem, but God has no problem. I'm pretty sure that there was many men that could have been the judge. But for some reason, God chose a woman. And not only that, he empowered her to act in a military capacity. It's one thing to just judge civil matters. You know, somebody's standing before you, Roman Theater, and we're going to handle their divorce court today. And you're just having fun. You're going to handle some petty larceny stuff. And people, you know, like Judge Judy and all those folks on TV just handle little small cases. And in the middle of handling those cases, the Lord said, now I want you to direct the army. You know, she could have whipped out. Don't you know I'm a woman? But what you got to see is God empowers you to do something. He already took into consideration who you are, what you are. So don't you let others put limitations on you when God has authorized you to do something. So now look at this. Israel had been in and out of trouble with this particular, with the Canaanites for about 20 years. And, and, this, and, and, and Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, you know, Canaanites, you know he had a massive army about 900 iron chariots, they say. And at that time, Israel didn't even have chariots. So now all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to Deborah and say, hey, you got to go and take these guys on. Now what Deborah does, she calls for a commander. Let me read this to you. Because it lets me know that when she sits in the seat of authority, she can tell a man what to do. Ladies, y'all ought to say amen right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, <laughs> maybe, maybe y'all ain't sitting in no seat of authority, so you don't feel it. But if God has put you in a seat of a, you know, some of y'all have risen to, the, risen to the occasion now where on your job, you got men working for you. Whereas, you know, maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that wouldn't even been there. So Deborah was just doing her job. And we see this in Judges chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. It says, Deborah, the wife of Libertas, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She was a wife and a prophet. So therefore, she's not the only prophet in the Bible. 
but, but that was a woman, but she is the one that God has chose for this particular assignment. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel, and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. In other words, she would hold court under a palm tree. You know, I, I th sometimes I look at the, uh, in, in the, in our judicial system, you know, they say this is Judge Remington's court. That means that when you come in that courtroom, he is in charge. So when she was under this palm tree, Deborah was in, that was her court, an outdoor court under a palm tree. Now look at this. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Ebenah. Now, when you have authority, you can send for folk. See, normally, the sergeant don't send for the colonel. The colonel sent for the... See, some of y'all got sending for power. And you just don't know it. And I'm here to tell you today that every now and then you need to just send for somebody that can help you do, need, do what you need to get done. Amen. So now look at this. She sent for him. Who li he lived in Kadesh in the land of Nep uh, Neptali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, somebody said the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel command you. God is using a woman to get a message through to her. Because obviously she was hearing from God and he wasn't. So therefore she was God's mouth to get this to him. And she tell him what God say to do. Call ten out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army. Now this guy was a powerful general. Everybody feared him. And so God said, look, you gather your forces together and I'm going to call him out. In other words, I'm going to put it in his heart that he needs to come and take you on. But when I put it in his heart, it's just going to be a divine setup. Because I'm setting him up so that you can take him, take him down. So God said, look, I'm going to orchestrate this thing. Babe, I'm going to send for him. I will place it in his heart, and he's going to come. Now look at this. He's going to come with all his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. And then this is what she said God says. There I will give you victory over him. At that place that I have already determined, I'm going to give you a victory. Now she's talking to Barak, the, the commander, and look what he tells her. Barak told her, verse 8, I will go, but only if you go. Now right then I had a problem with the brother. Now he the army guy. He the general in charge. She done called him, gave him an assignment. And, and you know, the brother say, if you don't go. Now, in that situation, you know, it sounds like he may have been a little fearful, a little whippy. He knew what he was up against. And maybe he needed somebody to inspire him, Major. He needed her to tell him, hey, you know, you the little engine, you can. You can get the job done. You just need someone to inspire you to go and do what God said. I didn't tell you to do this. God said for you to do it. But he says, I won't go if you don't go with me. Now look what she tell him when she out of her leadership position. She said, very well. 
She replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the victory, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a You ain't going to get the victory parade, Doc. You're going to go and win the battle, but at the end of the day, the honor is going to go to a woman. Now, you know, most brothers will say, well, I ain't even going then. She's going to get all the credit for it. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't going. But, but, but he saluted Sparta, and, and he went. But Deborah went with him. In verse 10, it says, At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, which was about 10,000 warriors, and they went up with him. And Deborah also went with him. Now, get a brother break. He may have felt like she's in touch with God. God talks to her. So I need some comfort and some assurance that I'm going to hear what God wants me to do because he ain't talking to me, obviously. He's talking to her. So I give him the benefit of the doubt, Tanya, that he took her so that he can just hear what God said. That may be right. I'm on, I won't put it all on that he was scared. He, he was just looking for some support and some encouragement. But at the same time, now, I got to give him credit for the fact that I don't know many brothers that would have went to fight for a woman and under her control and not get no glory. So I got to give him some credit, Brother Melvin. He still went, knowing that when he win this battle, he ain't going to get the victory parade. He's going to be a part of the celebration, but it's going to be a woman that's going to get the glory. Now look at this. As it will have it that, you know, God always got people in place to get what he need done. I'm transitioning now. That when it was time to go to battle, God had a man named Heber, who was the descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab. And y'all know that Moses married Zipporah, Cushite, and, and, and this is some of her relatives. But he was friends with the Canaanites. And so what he did, God used him to go and tell the Canaanite commander where the children of Israel was at. In other words, he used him to draw them to where Israel was set up. And again, I told you that this is a divine setup that God already had planned because God knows pride goes before. So it was time for this massive army to fall. And so we see in verse 14 of this same chapter, Deborah says to Barak, get ready. Somebody say, get ready. Now, look here. Get this. That get ready there don't mean go home and get your stuff. You're supposed to already be ready. That get ready is telling you, Brother Herb, the next sound you're going to hear is going to be fight. Not go get the gun. That get ready is saying you need to be locked in. It's almost like you're going to track me, Brother Herb, when, the, when they say, on your mark, get set, ready. You ain't got time to walk up to the blocks and get in. You better have butt in air, look it down. Y'all know that's a runner stand. You know, the hundred y'all day. Because the next sound you hear, and see what some of y'all are doing, you come up to the line and you're trying to get ready when you should because you don't know when the judge is going to fire the gun. 
You just anticipate that it's going to go off. But it don't make you no different when it go off. Why? Because you are. Some of y'all came here today just to get ready to do something. And I ain't talking about go back and have a 10-year plan, put it together. I'm talking about you already got the plan. You just need to be listening for the gun to say, pow. I wasn't supposed to talk too much. I got a lot of scripture to deal with today. Look. So she said to him, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Caesarea. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. Whenever you're going through, you got to always be in the mindset that God is in front of you, not behind you. He is leading you in what you're going through. So often we think that God is pushing us in the certain things that come in our lives, but in other words, he is leading. He's leading you into the battle that you're in. You're not going in there, he's pushing you out. He's leading the way for you. And all we got to do is have the sense enough and the courage enough and the wisdom enough to follow his. He's marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slope of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Man, God caught his through the most powerful army that they faced. And then now God done put them in a. See, God set them up because one, they had all those chariots, but God brought them to a place where their chariots would not work to their advantage. See, if you had them on a little level playing field, the chariots may run over, but he brought them to a mountain because the chariots would not have no effect trying to get up that, that mountain. But look at this. When Barack and the boys got courage, Jesse, they didn't wait for the battle to come to them. They was already ready. They went. Some of y'all are sitting on the mountain because you're scared to go down into the valley. And I'm trying to tell you that every now and then you're going to have to come from where you are to go down into the battle and do what God has called you to do. Knowing that he's already going to Man, they chased them all the way to Harath and Hegeom and they killed all of his warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Now, at the end of the day, what happened was Cicero being the commander, he got away. Somebody say he took off all this stuff and identified him, and he kind of eased out. But you know what? Guess where the Lord sent him? Sent him to a, a place where a woman was. And that woman was the wife of that guy named Heber. Don't y'all see God moving in this situation? Now, he go back to her tent looking for a hiding place, a place of refuge. You know, he's exhausted. She said, come on in. Take a seat. Can I do anything for you? You know what? Faith, he asked for some water because he was thirsty and exhausted. But guess what she gave him? She gave him some milk. The Bible says she gave him a jug of milk. You know, there's a myth out there, and I believe my aunt used to believe that because when we were little kids, she used to make us drink a glass of milk before we go to bed at night. And she claimed that that was supposed to cause us to relax, settle down, so we're going to sleep. Now, some people say that's just a myth, but aunt did it. Maybe true. Old boy got the milk, 
fell down. He didn't know he wasn't going to wake up. Anthony, you got to stop messing with me, man. <laughs> but the point is, it was a woman that killed him. Jehel took a peg of a tent and went in while he was sleeping and took a hammer in. Glory to God. Now get this. She got the glory for something that normally the, the commander of the opposing army would get. Because whenever you captured the other guy's king or their leader, you're supposed to either bring him back captured, bound up, or you're supposed to... I ain't going to have no lines. Anthony just working with me too well today. <laughs> but Anthony, you're right on time because that's what David had to do to the... And look here. It's time for us to start to decapitate some stuff that's our enemies. It's time for you to take up the sword that God has given you and go to battle and cut some things out of your life in your in situations that you're in so that you can enjoy the victory that God has already led you to. The job is not done until you take out the command of the enemy forces. And so whatever it is that's attacking you, know that God is leading you. And guess what? He can give you the victory over anything that comes in your life, but you got to trust him. And here God used a woman to give them that victory. She directed all of this. Uh, 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 Barak went out and did what he was supposed to do, but the glory went to a woman. I'll say again. God is not a respecter person. He can use whomever he wants to get the job done. Amen? And so now we see that Deborah was successful. And I want to transition from Deborah and let me go over to Ruth real quick. Adrian hit on this a little bit last week. So let's go to the book of Ruth. I'm going to deal with this for a couple minutes. Because when it comes to making a difference in a relationship where commitment, loyalty, and trust are critical, Ruth rose to the occasion in her mother-in-law's, Naomi's life. She would remain faithful to her faith even when she could have walked away. When she had an opportunity, Veronica, to just up and leave. But she remained faithful all the way through, and God will bless her for her faithfulness. Now let me just show you how she got here. What happened was that there was a famine in the land of Israel, and Amalek, which was Naomi's husband, Israelite, they went over to Moab to escape the famine. In other words, they went over in the heathen country to live among heathens, non-Israelite, non-Jews, so that they could live during the famine. Now, while they were over there with her uh, and his, her two sons and her husband, her husband dies. That's the first thing, you know, when a woman loses her husband back then, you know, if you didn't have boys to help you out, you went right into poverty. Then her, her boys go out and marry two Moabites. So God don't have a problem with interracial marriage. Because if he did, he should have told these boys, y'all can't get 
surprising. He should have told Judah that. You know, and, 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 and when he was messing with Tamar. So, so what I'm trying to tell you is that what you got to understand, what God is concerned about when you marry somebody is where they're going to take your heart. If they're going to take your heart away from him, then it's best that you don't. But just so happened, they married these Moabite women. And I ain't got time to tell you where the Moabites come from because they're descendants of an incestuous relationship. But what is in their past ain't got nothing to do with what God's going to use them for. For now. And so what Ruth heard this now, after her, they married two more white women, then they died. Her boys died. Now she is, Naomi heard this, I'm sorry. Now she is stuck with two daughter-in-law. And she hears that the famine in Israel now is just about over. So guess what? We're going to all get together and we're going to go back to Israel. Her and her daughter-in-law. Now, going back there without a man or livelihood mean they was going back in poverty. Because that was just the way the system was set up back then. If they didn't own anything there and they didn't have any heirs or someone that who had something, they were going to be in poverty. And so what we see here is that on their way back, Naomi has a change of heart. This is what she says. I'm in verse 8. You got to get this in mind. Ruth, Naomi, and Oprah, two daughter-in-laws and Naomi and mother-in-law, on their way back. And this is what she said in verse 8. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back to your mother's home. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husband and me. In other words, y'all need to go back home. I realize my boys are dead, but I believe God's going to bless you for how you treated them while they was alive and how you treated me as their mother. You know, I often hear about this myth of rifts between daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws and all these in-law issues. I hope that that ain't true. But just in case it is, you got to know that you can work through it even if your daughter-in-law is from another culture. Can I just be real with that? Because I know some of you all will have a problem if little Johnny brought home Megan. And I'm trying to tell you, as long as love is in the equation, it shouldn't make no difference whether it's Megan or whether it's Rashida. I got to get some of us out of that because God is not a respecter person when people love each other. And, and so what happened was after this, she said, look, go back home because based on the situation I'm in, I don't really have anything to offer you. Y'all young women.
Now look at this, verse 9. Then she put a blessing on him, speak a blessing, and, and get a casual commitment from him. She says, may the Lord bless you with security, with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Then after that, now they're crying. Now their feelings tied into this thing. They're emotional. You know, we always say ladies are emotional. They do more crying. That's a men that cry too. But the ladies are emotional. Hugging on mom in law like that. Crying. Don't want her to go back and live in those conditions. She want to go with you. But you know what? Mother-in-law knew you just can't haul off and go back unless you count the cost. See, sometimes people will make a commitment while they're crying and their feelings all connected. But they haven't really sit down and counted the, counted the cost to see what it's going to take to fulfill that commitment. So she started to preach into their heart and their flesh at the same time. Say, look at here, I'm, I'm old. The chance of me getting married and having some more boys and Slim and none. Now they think a little bit, yeah, you know. But even if I can find a husband tonight, babe, by the time we get it together, and little Johnny get old enough to marry you, it's gonna be at least be 20 years from. So now they're there, oh, we ain't think about that. We just caught up in our feeling. We think, do you go know? We don't know. Hmm. Are you telling us that it's a possibility that if we wait for your sons, if you even have some more, then it will almost be like today's cougar relationship. <laughs> I shouldn't have went there. But you know they would have probably been in their 40s, 45, and the boys wouldn't have been no more by 18. So, so that caused him to start thinking a little bit, Jesse. They said, hmm. Let us reconsider, Major. <laughs> let me read this, because y'all think I'm making this up. <laughs> y'all let me, I get caught up in this thing. Because I like for the Bible to make sense to me. And when it makes sense to me, then I can see that God know how we think too. Now look at this. He says, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still birth other sons who could grow up to be your husband? Thinking, okay. No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, and I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, what? But then, now they're doing some calculations. When I did the calculation, y'all thought I was crazy. But they're doing the calculation. Yeah. If she have a baby, even tonight. Tanya, they think, they think, they, wait, wait. Even to. By law, we got to at least wait till you get 16. That's a long time hoping and prayer. Ain't nothing wrong with making people think sometimes. Especially when you're trying to get a commitment. 
out of them. Don't always accept people's first answer when they say they're giving you a commitment. You need to ask some other questions. You need to propose some other situation because then they may rethink their commitment. It is better for them to rethink their commitment than for both of you all to be frustrated because you thought they was in for the end game. And they was only there for the first quarter. So she says, then what? Verse 13. Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? Huh. I think, ladies, you know, we ain't even got to be too spiritual right there. We don't even need a fresh anointing from the Holy Ghost to know the answer to them right there. <laughs> no. Anyway. But that was a difference in Ruth. Now look at this. Look at this. Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fists against me. In Naomi's mind, she felt like God was punishing her and because he was punishing her, he wanted them to, she wanted them to know that they didn't want to be a part of that bitterness. You, God, for whatever reason, she blamed God. Now, I couldn't find out why she said that, but in her mind, God has something to do with orchestrating all this. And, and, and I'm looking at that, I'm in a bitter state right now, and you really don't want to be a part of this right now. You know, when people get bitter... You can tell when they get bitter deep down in their soul. And that's a dangerous place to get when you get bitter, especially when you turn your bitterness toward God. Life happens to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. And when you're standing there as a child of God, you got to believe that he already know what he's going to do in your life. Even when you're going through a season that you should be bitter. Look at verse 14. Again, they wept together. Now they didn't have time to deliberate the question. And then now we find out where the hearts are. Oprah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. That sounds like a song, don't it? Y'all remember that? They let us yeah. Sound like a song. You know, see, see, her feelings were with her when they was up. We. We gonna do this. We. But now that she done had time to think about the question that was asked, she said, deuces. <laughs> I did the math. I did the math. And the math ain't working for me. So I'm going to take you up. Since you released me, I don't have to feel bad about it because you told me I could go. I'm just going to take you up on that offer. Kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth, somebody said, Ruth. Ruth clung to her, the Bible said she held on to her tightly. And now look at this. In verse 15, look, Naomi said to her, talking to Ruth now. I'm trying, I got to talk you out of this, Ruth, because you don't really know what you're going to get into. But I'm going to try to talk you out of it. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. In other words, she's gone back to what's familiar. And see, a lot of times when times get tough in people's lives, the first thing they want to do is go back to the phone. 
And some of you are stuck right there now. Every time something come up, you go back to what you are. Instead of clinging to the Lord and say, show me something I have never seen before. Let me do something that I've never done before. But we want to go back to the... It's easy to go back to what you're familiar with. It's easy to go back to the things that you grew up with. You grew up in your mama's house. It's easy to go back there. It's easy to go back and serve all them gods that you already serve. You're familiar with them. But if you come with me, I got to introduce you to another, another God altogether. You're going to have to give up some of them gods that you brought to the table, but now I'm going to introduce you to the true and So she said, Wayne, she told her, you should do the same. Be like your sister-in-law. But this is where most folks come and get this and put their vows. I don't know how many vows. I don't marry folks. They just done took root words right here. Like they were going to live them out to the rest of their life. Five years later, they divorced. I mean, I, I mean, when folks that read, make your own vows. Where you go out. I done heard Cliff and so many married. These words, they, they just popped off. The, I don't know. These folks don't even know much about the Bible, but they found, found this. They put in their vows. And I, I commend them for that. But if they don't have the heart to go along with the vows, they ain't going to stay in the marriage. The words don't make the vows a reality. It's what's in you and your commitment to the person that you say you're going to marry. So now look what she says. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Those of y'all in the military, y'all know what that means. You know, young people, you married a military man or a military woman, where they go, you got to go. You, you may not have wanted to go overseas because you were familiar with the United States. You ain't never left the state. You ain't even left the state of Florida. But you went out there and married to a military man or a military woman. You got to I don't know nothing about them countries. That's okay. God's going to go before you. You got to. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Sister, y'all know that y'all want the brother to live in something that he can't afford right now. <laughs> you know, you, you know, whether you, and the brother go and get a, a studio apartment. You what? <laughs> you know, but you said wherever I go, you go wherever I live, you will. You didn't tell me you expected a man to run off the, from the jump. You know, even in the military, you know, I'm just a senior, I'm a staff sergeant, tech sergeant. We don't get the big houses to start off with. So therefore, if you're with me, you're going to be with me whether I'm in a little house or in a hut. Because your commitment is not to where I am or what I have. Your commitment is to... There are some people who are committing to Jesus not because of who he is, but they're committing because of what they think he can do for us. But we commit because we love him and we know who he is. And we trust him for the promise that he made to us. But we're not committing to him just to get something. 
Yes, I thank you for my salvation, but look here, I love him anyway. He said, now look, your people will be my people. And that was a tough one right there because, you know, you're going to different cultures. People don't think the same, don't act the same. You know, some of y'all, when y'all married into a big family, you married into a big culture. All them brothers ain't the same. All them sisters ain't the same. You're going to find out you're going to like some better. <laughs> you like the other one. But they're your. I ain't married a whole family. Well, you married into them. <laughs> I just married Charlie. I just married her. No. Them her people. Therefore, they are them his people. So I'm trying to help somebody. If you plan on getting married, read this and make sure you want to live in, in accordance with it. Amen. And if you know people are going to be the issue, check out the ped pedigree in the background. Find out how many brothers and sisters he got. Find out they're all a, a, you know, a, a united family or they're kind of a disjointed. You need to know he got some steps and some steps over here and some steps over there. Everybody that living with mama ain't all his brothers and sisters. So therefore, when you join up with them, you got to look past them three there and see these other eight over. Because them yo. And if you ain't ready to commit to that, you need to say, hey, look at buddy. That's a non-starter. I ain't about to deal with all... That's just too many pieces for me to try to figure out. Then when I start to have children, oh, no. Mm-mm. But if I love you, loving them should be. If I love you. Loving them should be easy. Then she goes on to say, look here. Your God be my God. In other words, I'm willing to give up all them false gods that I had over in my country, and I'm willing to lock in on your God. And then she says this, wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Babe, that's a serious one right there. Because some of y'all got places that grandma and them own back in the country somewhere. Now you're living here, and everybody think that because you living here, you got to go there when you go. But wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. I'm in this to the end game. So therefore, I, I, that means more to me than going back to my people. When I made my commitment to you now, so my commitment to you, Naomi, overrides my commitment to my wow wow now look what she said she pronounced this and said look may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us wow when Naomi heard what Ruth said and how determined she was she didn't say nothing else let me fast forward to the end what happens is, they go back. And because no man is with them, 
They're going back in a state of poverty. But babe, just so happened, they go back in the middle of, at the beginning of barley season. You know where they reaping all the harvest that's coming in, wheat, corn, whatever it is, whatever they were reaping, barley, they reaping it in. And see, that was a time where the poor could be blessed. Because during that season, the harvesters, the people who got paid to do their job, they were supposed to leave a tenth in the field. And that tenth was supposed to be for the And when the poor came to get that, they didn't call that harvesting. They called that gleaning. You gleaning from what's left. There were people living off leftovers. The harvest is gone, but God has provided enough. You know, that was God's welfare system. Like government cheese. They left 10% in the field for the poor. And so when they get back in the middle of this harvesting season, because of Naomi's age, guess who got to go and do the gleaning? Ruth got to go out there and glean. Girl, do you see my nails lately? You think I'm finna go out there? <laughs> mom, 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 do you realize, do you, do, look, I, what little nails I got left? I ain't about to get out there and start pulling no wheat and barley off. I ain't about to go out there and start, No. Because I want to make sure you live, I'm willing to sacrifice. So you're too old to glean. But I'm going to go out there and glean for us. But she heard about this guy, Boaz, who was a rich relative, rich relative of the family. And so she had said, look, all I want to do is win favor with him. How many of you know that God was going to make sure that she got the favor that she needed. So now she go out there and started gleaning, and while she's gleaning, he come to town. And when he comes to town, he got all these handmaids and all these folks working for him. For some reason, this woman caught his. You just never know where you're going to be when you catch the right person. You around there running around trying to get in the harvest line and get all up in the face. And you need to be over there just glean. Just glean. Just do your business in a godly way. Do the thing that God called you to do in a godly way. And somebody will take. Somebody will take notice. So now, get this. She's out there gleaning. He take notes. And then he have this conversation with her. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. In verse, chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. Y'all got the picture. She's a foreigner. So look at what he says. When she, look how this exchange goes when she meet him. Now, Ruth, verse 10, fell down at his feet and thanked him warmly. Now, you know, ladies, I know that dog don't hunt today. But you got to figure out a way how to at least let the brother feel like he's a man a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't know how much you got to let him. But just let him. I ain't saying you got to get down on his feet and all that stuff. That was just a custom that day. Because when somebody came in your presence who outranked you, you humble yourself before them. That's why Haman got mad at, you know, Malachi. Because he wouldn't bow down before him. But, but, but Ruth understood that, hey, 
He is a man of honor. I don't have no problem humbling myself before him. Now look, you got to be the same way when it comes to Jesus and God. You got to say, Lord, whenever I come into your presence, whenever I'm dealing with you, I don't mind humbling myself before you. You already know about me, but I'm going to do what I'm required to do because I'm going to give you the honor and respect that you are. I ain't going to naturalize that piece right there because I'll get in trouble. So I'm going to just leave that just like that. She fell down at his. I ain't going to read the whole story, but later on her, her mother-in-law going to tell her, you need to go get her to feed her. So he said this. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am a foreigner. I'm not even one of your people. Why are you taking a liking to me? This is what he said. You know, most people who've been checking you out, they already know some stuff. What you tell them ain't going to be all new news to them. If they've been investigating, they done figured out some stuff, and now y'all done put all your stuff out there. All they got to do is go find your page. Find your links, find your friends, find out who you, hey, today, you know somebody take a major, you know somebody take an interest in somebody, all they got to do is just Google them and put their name in, Facebook them and find out, ooh, that's what she like, that's what he like, you know some of y'all better take y'all cue off what folks write about themselves and what they post, oh but he, he's so cute, and you going to look past all that that she been posting, or he been Let me get back to Ruth, because they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have all these other, you know, Instagram and Twitter. They didn't have all that then. All he had was word of mouth what other folk were saying. He says this. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know that every, about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. Man, he done heard some good things, but I done heard the report. And now look what he says. May the Lord God of Israel, Adrian, here's your piece right here from last week. They need to go get the wing thing and tie this to right here. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Reward you fully for what you have done. In other words, let God be faithful to you just like you was faithful to Naomi. Let him take you up under his wings and, and be your refuge, be your shelter, be your protector, be your provider. Let him be everything that you need. And he's speaking this blessing on her life, not knowing, Major, that he was the answer to the prayer. He was the answer to the prayer, that God was going to make him be the instrument to allow all those things to happen in her life. God has a way of being faithful to those who are faithful to him. And sometimes he'll bring people in your life to help you do some things you didn't even know you could do. But God positioned them now to help you do what he called you to do. And all you got to do is continue to remain faithful to what he's called you to do. He said, now look, God got you under his wings now, and I want him to reward you fully for what you have done. Then look what she says here. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. 
you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Let me break that down. I'm through with that. I don't even need my notes right there. You got to get the picture. The workers are the harvesters. They get paid to do what they do. I'm not one of them. I'm out here glean. I don't get paid. This is how I serve. My survivor is connected to me. Glean. I am too poor to even be on your payroll. And by the way, I'm a foreigner too, and I don't see you got too many foreigners working for you, but, but I'm just a gleaner. But don't you know when God is in charge of some things, faith, you can go from being a gleaner to a wife. You can skip worker. <laughs> I'm going to skip a step. Why? Because I got the favor of God on my side. And if you read to the end of the story, she not, never became one of his workers. She became his, his wife. And she ended up in David's first line. David's great-grandmama. Uh-huh. Moabite. God is not a respecter. He rewarded her faithfulness because she stepped up and was there for Naomi when times got tough. And what I'm trying to tell you is that God will reward your faithfulness. When you step up and do what he's calling you to do, when times get tough in the lives of people, in the lives of a church, in the lives of a situation, when you step up, rise to the occasion, believe that God will faithfully bless you just like he blessed Ruth. Just like he did for her. He'll do it for you. And so maybe we'll do a major for our sake. Maybe we'll do a book study on that and show you how all this ties up. But at the end of the day, she was rewarded for following her mother-in-law, by staying committed to her mother-in-law. And her commitment was not just with lip service, but her commitment with her heart. Because she went back in spite of the condition that she was going back into. And sometimes when God brings you into a situation, you're going to have to trust him enough to go in spite of what the conditions look like. Man, if it was all rosy, rosy all the time, Adrian, everybody would take the assignment. But every now and then, somebody got to take the tough assignment and believe that God will reward them for their faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand cup of praise. Rising to the occasion. Hallelujah. 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 I've got several appeals for you. Every head bow and every eye closed. Even if you're online at this time, we ask that you just join with us as we make these appeals. Our first appeal is for salvation. If you're here or online and you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord, your Savior, I ask that you would just please raise your hand or just send us an instant message. If that is you online, just please make that known to us. You can even give us a call here at 862-3899, area code 850. So again, if that is you and you're in the house or online and you want to give your life to the Lord, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. You know, this day, 
You ought to be ready. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, you ought to be ready to accept his son as your personal savior. That is you. Please raise your hand. I see no hands raised. Then I take it that all are saved and all have a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then our second appeal is for church membership. If you're here and you're looking for a church home and you're looking for a place where you can come and be challenged to grow uh, spiritual to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the Lord is saying striving for perfection ministry is the place for you, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. If you're online, just again, just send us a message or give us a call at the number 850-862-3899. Truly, we'd love to have you as part of this body if that is your desire. Then my third one is for prayer. If you got a prayer request and you would like to come to the altar, we even open it up. You can come and kneel or stand and pray for yourself as I pray. Or you can just stand up or sit at your seat, at your seat and pray as the Lord lays it on your heart. I just ask that you focus in on, on him and allow him to speak to you as you speak to him. This is a time where you can cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Make your requests known unto him. This is a time you can even hear instructions from him, what he may be speaking to your heart in this time, in this season, so that you can take opportunity of what he's showing you. So with your hearts and minds set on prayer, let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor and give you thanks on today. God, we thank you for being God and being God all by yourself. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to die for us and to take our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. We thank you for his sacrifice and what he did, God, to give us a way back to you. And God, we're forever grateful. And now, God, because we have that relationship, we can come boldly to you and make our requests and our petitions known unto you. So right now, God, hear the Hear our hearts, hear our spirits as we are uh, coming to you in a spirit of meekness and humbleness, making our petitions and our requests known. God, I ask that you incline your ear down to your people right now. Let them know that you're a God that can hear and answer prayer. God, whatever their concerns are, whatever that situation may be, God, I ask that you just be there for them. At the same time, God, there may be some who just want to give you a thanks and a praise for what you've done in their life, how you've been there with them, how you've gone before them in battle. God, that may be something to just want to say thank you. And God, they can take this time to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory through that prayer. And then, God, there's some that may be waiting for instructions. God, I ask that you speak to their heart right now, God. Show them what you will have them to do, God. Give them the courage and the boldness to accept the challenge, to rise to the occasion. And do the things that God, that you've already anointed them to do. God, I thank you. And we lift up all those families now who may be in a season of grief and loss. We ask that you be the God of all comfort as you are. And comfort them and give them peace, Lord. We ask that you continue to lead and guide all of us, God. Continue to let your loving angels guide us and protect us. Let your Holy Spirit continue to empower us and embolden us, God, to be what you call us to be. And Father, when it's all said and done, we won't take any credit for anything we've done in your name, but we will humbly give it to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we move, live, and have our very being. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand cup of praise, if you will. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs>